Today we look at the third enemy of the soul, June 5th, the devil we talked about, June 12th, the flesh, Pastor Brennan spoke, and today in this brief three Sunday series, the world. And if you missed those previous two messages, as we often encourage you, and I hope you do, if you missed those, go back and, uh, and catch up on this important biblical teaching on the Eaglemont Christian Church YouTube channel. Watch it. Watch it there. The world. In New Testament Greek, the word is cosmos. You see the, the connection on one of the meanings, one of the three meanings in the Bible of this Greek word. In Romans, first of all, Romans 1.20, it refers to the beauty of God's creation, the world, physical world. Or in uh, a place like John 3.16, it refers to all the people of the world, people whom God loves. That verse, as we learned, those of you that were kids in Sunday school or you had a grandma who taught you the word of God, you probably learned John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Powerful words. Cosmos is the, is the word for world there. And then the third meaning, as we're looking at today, is a reference to a system, uh, a, a worldly way of thinking and living that leaves God out of the picture. As in Ephesians 2, the New Testament letter uh, to the believers, to the church in Ephesus way back in Bible times, Paul writing, and you, he made alive. He's speaking to people who have committed their life to Christ, trusted him as the forgiver and the leader of their life. And he says, he, God, made alive you who were dead in sin, in which you once walked according to the course of the cosmos, world. The NIV puts it, you, uh, don't, um, when, when you followed the ways of the world. You, you used to live that way, but now God has brought you into his family and there's, there's far greater ways to live. The, the world is, as I said already, a, a system uh, who, whose ways are led by Satan, actually, whom the Bible calls the God, a small g, there's an element of influence for a time. Paul calls him the God in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this world. And it's this system of thinking and living that Satan wants us to embrace. Uh, some of you know the, the passage, uh, Romans 12, 2. Um, I, I like the J.B. Phillips translation of this verse. It says it this way. Don't let the world, the, the system of the world, whose small g God is Satan, don't let the world squeeze you into its own mold. But let God remold your minds from within. I like that. Uh, we probably remember that verse, say, from the New King James that's, that, that says it this way. Don't be conformed to the world. The devil has a will for your life. The devil has a will. We talk a lot about God's will. It's a good discussion to have. God's will. The devil has a will 
for your life, namely to squeeze you into the mold of his world that he is shaping so that you come to think and act like he wants you to. Some characteristics of his mold are things like the world says to hate your enemy. (laughs) Jesus says, love your enemy. The world says, acquire, consume, and and, and accumulate stuff as much as possible. Then you'll be happy. Well, Jesus says, the way to fulfillment is to grow in generosity. The world says, if someone wrongs you, it's game on. (laughs) Jesus says, forgive your enemies. And, and, And the list could go on, of course. Now, believers who view uh, the, the, the main problem as the world can sometimes begin to think that they'll be safe if they, if they just work really hard at looking nothing like the world. And, and, and focusing only on this, they can forget, genuine as they may be, they, they can forget that there's still the flesh and the devil. I heard one preacher recently referred to this as the the Amish mentality. The Amish, as some of you may know, choose not to drive cars because because they're of this world in, in their estimation. And this preacher then made the point that just because you use something that's not from the world today doesn't mean what you're using is not still from the world, Right? He put it this way, or from yesterday's world. And so I won't use a car, but I'll use a buggy whose fuel is oats and hay. Um, not, not mocking that, but he was just pointing that out. In, in other words, there can be this, uh, this artificial sense of holiness and, and separation from the world sometimes. And it turns to legalism. That's not what biblical holiness is. That's a whole other discussion that we won't delve into, but you'll pick up some of that today. Listen to Jesus' words from John 17, 14 to 18. Uh, he, he touches on numerous aspects of, his whole, uh, of this whole conversation. He says, I have given them your word, them meaning his followers, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. That's quite a statement. My prayer is not that you take them, Father, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one, Satan. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And then he says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. You need to take some time just to read and reread and meditate on this passage, and I encourage you to do that. At some point, maybe later today, these words of Jesus. There's just there's so many uh, teaching points in the in these words from Jesus that take us a variety of directions, uh, and yet they're all interconnected. Actually, verse verse fourteen, Jesus reminds us that the world will hate his followers. Have you been an object of that before? If you've followed Christ and are genuine and you're... Now, I'm not talking about hatred that comes at you because you're an obnoxious, overbearing, condescending, judgmental Christian. You deserve it if that's you. Right? You know, right? But, but Jesus, Jesus said it. What, what, what we will face. 
He said it again in John 15, 18. Jesus says, if the, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Jesus, easy. I mean, isn't he trying to, to make converts here? Come on, that's not going to get you the, the crowds, Jesus. Stop talking like that. <laughs> Jesus isn't interested in mere converts, is he? He wants disciples. He wants followers, committed followers. He's just being honest about what awaits those who make a genuine commitment to be a learner at the feet of Jesus. And then verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but Father, that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus never intended us to seclude ourselves from the world because if that happened, how would we ever be able to be salt and light for him as he called us to be, Matthew 5. Jesus wants us to to show and to share his good news message of grace in the Spirit's power with people who are trapped in the worldly system of our spiritual enemy. But who can be free as they place their trust in Christ? And and we, God intends that we, his followers, are the, the conduits, the voices of that good news message. It's a hostile environment. But as we trust Jesus, he promises to protect us from being squeezed into the mold that Satan has prepared for us. And we look around in this culture. The God of, the age, of this age, the God of this world, small g, God of this world, Satan is alive and well. And he always has been. But it can feel very challenging at times. In the culture in which we live, can't it? On many fronts. There's a cultural attack these days by the the system of the world led by Satan himself. uh, An attack on fathers in our culture. You probably see it. You probably identify it. Fathers who, who God has a vital role for them to fulfill in families and in raising children. Attacked. There's a cultural attack on the nuclear family unit as God designed it, consisting of a father and a mother. The liberal media not surprisingly attacks this in stories with headlines uh, like from CNN in the last year. Don't fall into the nuclear family parent trap. What kids need most is love. Or from the Atlantic, the nuclear family was a mistake. Then the world system, spearheaded by Satan himself, would want you to believe a certain way about abortion. And we're we're hearing that these days, aren't we? And you've heard it before. It's the woman's body. Actually, no. (laughs) That, That little life within the mom is a separate living being. And the world treats that baby within the mother like it's a kidney or something. It's not. I mean, I encourage you to read Psalm 139 about that. God gives life. And that unquestionably begins at conception. How about following the science on that? And, and, and if you've had in your past an abortion, 
There is grace. There is God's forgiveness. There really is. You don't have to carry that as a burden the rest of your life. You do not talk to somebody if that's your experience. Christian parents, you, your job. I thought when my kids, and they're only, how old are they now? 31, 29, 26. Don't quote me on that, but. You know, I thought parenting was tough then. I mean, it, it's, it's a whole other ball game. My heart goes out to you and I pray for you. You've got kids, young elementary students, facing what they're facing that is agenda-driven. And, and, and I believe it. There's a spiritual realm behind so much of what's going on. There really is. And that's what this passage from Romans 12, 2 talks about. But parents, your job, just so important, so challenging. Because as probably most of you understand well, you're fighting against a, and I don't mean fighting in an aggressive way, please understand. But on your knees for sure, and, and in conversations with appropriate people at appropriate times, depending on God's wisdom through it, right? So, so you're, you're fighting against a worldly system that opposes every good thing that God has given us. And you, you need to be, and I'm, I'm sure this is on your radar, and, and some of you are just doing this so well. Others of you, maybe for whatever reason, it's a struggle. Maybe you didn't have that in your background, and you're up bringing, you know, uh, your parents bringing the Word of God and God's perspective into all the situations. If, if you're feeling lost in that, Pastor Crystal would love to hear from you. Maybe someone in your small group you can talk with. Just, just be proactive in this to equip yourself. You, you, you need to be consistently dialoguing with your children these days. I would say even more than we had, and that's not so long ago, to remind your kids of what the Bible says about this, about that. God's Word must be our guide. He's got the best plan. He's got our best interests at heart, God does. And He talks about that way here. Otherwise, if you just let let it happen, and you don't make this a priority in your home and conversations and asking questions, and, and that's, a, that's a skill. I can, I can direct you to some parents that do this well. I can line that up, and I'll talk to them if that's okay, and I'll do all the right things, but seriously, challenging. Otherwise, your kids will most likely be squeezed into the mold of the world. Another cultural example of the world endeavoring to squeeze us into its mold is in the area of sexuality and how the world has defined God's plan and purpose for human sexuality. Now, Satan has had success at this uh, down through the centuries, of course, in different ways, but certainly the case in, in our day and age. But if you know anything about what God says in his word about the, this aspect of our lives, you know that, that today's worldly system has taken this distortion of sexuality into another stratosphere. Even liberal commentator Bill Maher is asking questions about, well, when he's asking, anyway, those of you that know him, it's like, really? Wow. Uh, and then Marlo's quoting him. On, okay, whoa, just stay with me. Uh, but he's asking questions about what we're currently seeing in our society related to the increasing number of people being all over the map with their sexuality and the, the gender exploration that we're seeing. There's multiple factors, of, of course, but, but, but 
as, as Christ followers, please hear me. First and foremost, we love. We show compassion. We, we must love those who are wrestling with this area of their life. No matter what that looks like, Jesus calls us to love them. That doesn't mean that we accept a, a lifestyle that is opposed to God's best pattern as good. No. You, you can love somebody and disagree. My wife does it all the time. She loves me. <laughs> she sometimes disagrees with what I say up here. Silly example, but right? We, we can love somebody genuinely, and we must, and, and view things differently. But let's be clear. That does not endeavor. Loving somebody does not mean that we don't endeavor to to help people understand what God's best plan is and purpose for this area of their life in line with how he created male and female in the very first chapter of Genesis. Second chapter? Wow, Marlo should know that. Age. It's age. That's the problem. But, but, but do so in a way that, that shows God's love and grace. And no condescending judgment, right? There's no place for that. Bill Maher accurately points out that with many young people, doing something for the likes that they'll receive on Instagram is more important than anything, almost. Which he proposes contributes to the increasing number of, of teens being swept up in the, the trendy wave of saying they're transgender or fluid or whatever it might be. Mar says that children are being used in this way in the culture wars of our day. He uses humor to make a, a truthful but disturbing point. I quote him. I don't, he says, I don't understand parents who won't let their nine-year-old walk to the corner without a helmet, an EpiPen, and a GPS tracker. And God forbid their lips, he says, would touch dairy. But hormone blockers? Genital surgery? Fine. He then adds, Maybe the girl who doesn't like girly stuff needs to understand that being female doesn't mean you have to act like a Kardashian. Well put. From a biblical perspective, we know that Satan, the enemy of everything good, the enemy of everything good that God has created, is behind the world's twisting of God's original design for human sexuality and gender. And I, I choke up because people are missing out. Yeah, in this way and in many ways. Who, those who don't know Christ yet are missing out on what, what is best for them. And that's sad. I, and I stress once again, my Christian friends, that people who struggle with with gender dysphoria or confusion, it's often, it's often a complicated thing. I don't mean to, you know, trivialize here at all in what I've said. But we are called to love them as God does. To not look down on them in any way. But to love them. And if you're struggling with this, God loves you. And has a beautiful plan 
for your life if you'll surrender. If you'll surrender everything. Heart, mind, soul, eternity, sexuality, everything. Because God created you. And my family's been mocking me recently because I was saying this quite often in one of the series, but I'm going to say it again. Be ready. Just easy. He loves you most. He knows you best. And he loves you most. So why? Why wouldn't I entrust everything about my life to him and endeavor to follow his good plan and walk in the steps of Jesus for the way he designed my life to work? What, what's... What's holding you back? You're engaging online. Maybe you're, you're just alone in a hotel room or at home or whatever. And maybe you're not alone. And, and yet you're alone in your struggle. You, nobody knows what's going on in your mind right now. Give it to God. Give it to God. Touch base with us. We'd, we'd love to, to come alongside in the, in the journey with you. John Mark Comer in the book, Live No Lies, that we've used in this series and recommended to you, writes, the world is what happens when Adam and Eve's sin goes viral and spreads through a society. The result, he says, the distorted becomes normative. Sin is recast as any number of things, freedom, human rights, reproductive justice, uh, all those things there, nature, boys will be boys, anything but sin, because we don't like that word, And, and we certainly see that in our culture. From 1 John 2, I need to pick up the pace here. John writes, do not love the world or anything in the world. And he's talking the system of the world that is opposed to God, right? He's not talking about the beautiful creation or the good people that we get to enjoy life with and whatever. No, okay, we understand. Do not love the system of the world that has a small g, God, Satan, leading it. Or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Notice these two loves are mutually exclusive. We cannot love the Father while at the same time loving the world. Speaking again of the, of the system, not, not the people. For everything in the world, verse 16, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. Quickly, lust of the flesh, perverted love. It's a, a, a desire turned in on itself. Lust is. Uh, the lust of the eyes, things like greed, jealousy, discontentment, envy, pride of life, pride that Proverbs says goes before a fall, and it, it reveals itself in so many ways in our lives, even as, even as Christ followers. So, how do we keep the values and the ways of the world from shaping our thinking and our living? That's an, an extremely important question as we wind down here in a few minutes. Are you Christ followers? Are you, are you asking? Are you, are you ever asking that, that question? Am I? I need to be. How do we keep from being squeezed into the mold of the world? And how do we keep all that is around us from seeping into our hearts and minds so that we, we, we don't take on the values or the ways or the thinking or the priorities? of the worldly system that is led by Satan, the enemy of our eternal souls. How do we do that? Well, that's a whole message series, but, uh, and, and I, I, I risk, maybe, maybe not, uh, I risk disappointing some of you maybe with the simplicity of the biblical answer. The same spiritual habits that I touched on at the end of the June 5th message apply here. And so I encourage you to listen or even maybe to re-listen to those four points at the end of that message. Important, important things. And and Brennan picked up on that same 
response in terms of spiritual habits and spiritual disciplines, as they're called. And discipline has a negative connotation uh, in our culture so much, but not so in, in used in this, in this context. But there's, there's, there's one spiritual discipline, spiritual habit, the biblical spiritual discipline that I want to focus on in this, in this conversation and wrapping it up. It's crucial. And it's something that too many Christians increasingly uh, I, I see laying aside or, or devaluing. And, and, yet, and yet that's always been the case. It was written about the, the caution of doing that, of laying aside this spiritual discipline was written about in the New Testament. So it happened then. So it's, it's nothing new. And it's disconnection from the body of Christ. Jesus established his church for the strengthening and the mutual, mutual edification of his followers because he knew they would be living in a world that, uh, that, that is hostile toward their Jesus and hostile toward their personal faith in God, their creator and heavenly father. That's why the whole New Testament, I mean, you've probably heard it before, maybe, maybe said it. I don't know why well, I can be a Christian without going to church. Well, first of all, it's not about going to church. It's, that's different than being a part of the body of Christ, locally expressed, right? Um, and yes, I'm not saying that you won't get to heaven if you've committed your life to Christ. Okay, so that, we're not talking salvation here. But we're talking about the experience of what it means to live for Christ in community with others. The good, the bad, and the ugly of family relationship. The enriching, the challenging, the encouraging, the being encouraged. The accomplishing of the gospel mission of Jesus together as he intends it to happen. It's just, I mean, again, a whole series. You know it. You've heard me. If you've been around Eaglemont any length of time, talk about this much. But again, the whole of the New Testament, I would say to that person who's kind of trying to convince themselves that disconnection from the, local, the body of Christ locally expressed is okay. <laughs> Just look at the New Testament. Look at the whole of the New Testament. The picture of what it means to live fully as a Christ follower is set in the context of the local church. The local church experience where, where, where Christ followers can, can thrive spiritually. And some of that thriving comes because that person that is a part of my church family just chafes me, crates on me. Or we had this not so good interaction. And I want to fess up to my part of that, my contribution. But I mean, those things aren't fun. They're not good. We want to minimize them with integrity. Not, not being fake in our peace. But, but those situations, don't they help us become more like Christ? Don't those situations help us to learn to forgive, as Jesus says we must do? Ah, body of Christ. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Part of God's plan. The, the local church is God's strategy, I would say. I would say it that way, and, and, and accurately so. Biblical New Testament strategy for spiritual protection and growth as his followers. Which then results in the advancement of the gospel in the world. Because he wants, 2 Peter 2.4, sorry, 1 Timothy 2.4, he wants everyone to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And that truth is a person, 
Jesus, who said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Early Christian historian Dr. Larry Hurtado talks about this small group of Jesus followers in the first century that revolutionized their culture. And he makes the point that it wasn't the church's, get this, it wasn't the church, not that these things are bad, but it wasn't the church's relevance in his writing, in his opinion, or their, their relatability to the culture, but rather it's difference and distinctiveness from the culture around them that made Christianity compelling to so many at that time. And he points out four ways that uh, that the church was distinctive from its surrounding culture. He says the church was, first of all, uh, multiracial and multiethnic, loving and respecting all people groups, and and, and the beauty of community together with other uh, people with other backgrounds. The church, he says, was spread across socioeconomic lines, and they cared for the poor. Pretty biblical. The church was, thirdly, he says, was strong in its resistance to infanticide and abortion. And he's talking about this first century church as a historian. John Mark Comer uh, is, is where I got this information out of, out of that book, uh, Live No Lies. And he adds here, he says, I can't think of a more gut-wrenching example than abortion where the greatest infanticide in human history is recast as reproductive justice, in quotes. The, the sheer nerve, he writes, to use the word justice to refer to the dehumanization and destruction of millions of children is inexplicable. The moral reasoning here is just staggering, he says, in its complete break from logic and even science, and yet it has widespread social acceptance. And we know it does. And and by dehumanization, uh, he means calling uh, it a, a fetus as opposed to a baby just because it's still in the womb is, is his point. On that third uh, point of how the church was different than the culture, even back then. And fourthly, Dr. Hurtado points out that the church was resolute in its biblical definition of marriage and sexuality as between one man and one woman for life. Satan is is quite effective at convincing people that his worldly values and perspectives are absolutely normal and reasonable. And thus should be accepted and embraced and lived out. Satan's done a pretty good job of that in our, in our culture. And I stress again, it's our connection to the, to the body of Christ, to, to the church of Jesus, locally expressed, that helps to keep us from, from sliding that direction. And... It can be a subtle slide at first. Some of you look back and you see that. My, my Christian friends, we, we cannot combat the deception of the enemy alone. We cannot win the battle over our flesh alone. And Satan's temptations, we cannot fight alone. We cannot keep ourselves from being squeezed into the mold of the world system alone. This is why in the New Testament, the call of Jesus to be a disciple was always, always a call to join the community of his body where we experience, as I said already, the, the, the giving and the receiving of encouragement and strength and support and prayer and meals and whatever else. 
we may need at a given time as we walk with Christ together. Are, are, are we doing it perfectly? No. You probably notice deficiencies as I do. But let, let's keep on keeping on church family in this. It's God's plan. In conclusion, I leave this question for Christ followers to reflect on. Where have I allowed myself to be squeezed into the world's mold? Your first reaction might be, I haven't. Maybe. Good. If that's the case. But I, I want you to take this question away. As you, as you walk through your life this week, where have I or where am I allowing Myself to be, to, be, to be squeezed into the world's mold. Has that happened? Even subtly? How, how, has your, how has your thinking shifted away from what you know God's word says about, about anything? What attitudes have surfaced that you know aren't God honoring? Squeezed into the mold of the world. Have you, have you reshaped, uh, reshaped sorry, your uh, previously uh, held biblical view about sexuality because a family member came out? I've seen that happen. Well, you still love them? That's got some challenges, of course, but... Have, you, have, you, have your efforts to attain a certain RSP level outpaced your efforts to reach spiritually lost people in your life? I don't know. There's just, you can think of your own questions. And I, I, I ask you to ask the Holy Spirit to show you if there are ways that you've allowed Satan to start to squeeze you into his mold. Students, have you given up because you felt the cultural currents are just too strong against you. And they are. And I don't, I don't know the half of it because I'm old. But I see some stuff. I have some conversations. And I pray for you, as do your Christian parents, I know. And as do your youth leaders. Don't give up on what you Know to be what Jesus would call you to be and how Jesus would call you to live. It's not about keeping you in line. No, it's about his best plan. His best and loving and all wise purpose and plan for your life today, and tomorrow, the next day. And you don't have to overcomplicate it. Just do what Jesus said. Two greatest commandments, love God and love people. God, show me how to do that. I don't know how to love, especially some people. I don't know how, so, that, you know, in my chemistry class. Maybe it's your teacher. You need to learn to love. I mean, it's, not, it's difficult, but it's not complicated. Students, you can do this. You can do this. You can live for Jesus. You can honor him with your life. You can know that you're going to be with him for eternity. Not because of what you're doing, but because of what, he do, uh, what he's done and you've surrendered your life to Christ. Mm. You can do this, students. God has a plan that is so beyond what you can imagine.
and loving God and focusing on his word will keep you from being squeezed into the mold of the world that is, that is dark and has sad and significant eternal consequences as well. For those who may be exploring faith and trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together of what it means to be a Christ follower, I want to just, as we close, talk to you for a moment. I referenced Ephesians 2 before, and I want you to hear Ephesians 2, 4. God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, loved you, even when you were dead in trespasses and sin, made you alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Grace. We can't do anything to earn it. Do you want to be made alive in Christ? Made alive in in, in the inner person, who you really are for eternity. It's not about how long you've gone to church. Maybe you've gone to church all your life. That's not it. That's not that. I know it's corny, but I heard it once and it stuck in my head. Um... Going to the airport doesn't make you an airplane. That's like Tim Hawkins start a joke and you can't finish it. Um, going to, you know, uh, let me, hmm, <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> going to an airport doesn't make you an airplane. Wow, weird statement. But, you know, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Have you committed your life to Christ? What would keep you from surrendering to a loving God who, who made you for a purpose, who made you to, for him to be able to enjoy relationship with you now and on into eternity? If that's your desire and you want to make that commitment, you can just pray, Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for stepping in and becoming my, the payment for my sin. I don't, I don't get it, but that's what you did. And so I thank you now. Express this. If you're wanting to make a commitment of your life to Christ, you can express something like that right now. Lord Jesus, I know that you love me. I surrender to you. I trust you. I trust you now. I ask you to be the forgiver of my sin because that sin keeps me from God and I don't want to be kept from God. So I accept you as the forgiver of my sin and and the leader of my life because you know best. You created me. I want to walk. I want to walk in relationship with you from this day forward and on into eternity with you. If you prayed that prayer, God has heard you. And as of this moment, you are in his family. You are in his family. If if you're engaging online, there's a, a, a button that you can let us know. I accepted Christ today. Or you can go to eaglemont.info and click on the I'm new button. And there you can give us the information. Not, we don't want to harass you, but we want to help. We want to give you resources that will help you establish roots in, your, in this new spiritual walk. In this relationship with Christ. Give us that opportunity. We'd be honored. Or if you're here in person, you can do the same with the, with the, with the I'm new card. And, and, and let us know that you... Express this prayer to God. Trusted Him. Confessed Christ. And you're part of His family. We, we would love, we would love to celebrate that news with you. Father, we thank you. 
for your precious word. Help us. Help us just to not grasp it intellectually, Lord, but by your spirit and by choices we make, help us to weave the way of Jesus into the way we live, into the way we think. Help us to submit to you, Lord Jesus, and to your good purpose and plan for our lives and eternities. In Jesus' name, amen.